It's a simple process. It's just that everybody makes it so hard. Once you put this on the air, all these people are going to say that guy's full of shit. Print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as Spanish with Ronaldo Gil Zambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. In 1915, Ross F. George published the first edition of the Speedball textbook, which quickly became the superlative resource for artists and letterers of all ages and skill levels. This is a great resource and inspiration for the gig poster gang or folks who just want to develop their own fonts and lettering forms for screen print or relief printed works. And in celebration of the 105th year anniversary of the first edition's debut, the 25th edition of the Speedball textbook has a convenient lay-flat construction and 120 pages of examples, contributors' works, and innovative technical insight that is sure to inspire and appeal to scribes and enthusiasts across the spectrum. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Jack Lemon, founder and master printer at Landfall Press since 1970. Jack has created collaborative print editions with Kara Walker, Christo, Judy Chicago, Solowit, and many more highly respected and influential artists of the last five decades. Jack went to school during a time when lithography was fading from the world of fine art in the United States and had a ringside seat and a pivotal role in its renaissance in the 1960s and 70s. He worked with other printmaking greats such as June Wayne and Ken Tyler before setting up his own studio. So, without further ado, sit back. Relax and prepare to make landfall with Jack Lemon. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's what we like to hear. So, thank you for uh, sitting down with me for a chat. I'm really looking forward to getting to talk more. And I'm wondering if we could just begin at the beginning a bit. And if you could tell me when you first got interested in art, when do you remember kind of understanding what art was and that it was something that you wanted to be involved in? Well, when I was really young, art, I used to copy photographs, you know, just on a little piece of paper, uh-huh. things like that. Uh, and I don't know, at first when I, when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I went to junior college, and my thought in my brain was I wanted to be a history teacher because mm. I like history mm-hmm. a lot. And a couple of years there, after they taught me how to read and write, I was just walking down the street one day at lunchtime, and there was the Art Institute in Kansas City. Mm. And not knowing anything, uh, I just went in, and the lady that met me, uh, asked me if I wanted to enroll, huh. and I th- thought about it, and then I thought, oh, and then I saw stuff around. She gave me a tour, and uh, so I thought, yeah, I think I'll do that. Hmm. So I did, and that was in hmm, 57 or 58, something like that. Yeah. 
And so there was not like an application process at the time? You just kind of enrolled or did you have to show a portfolio? Didn't have to show a thing. 90% of the people there were all veterans. Oh, yeah. And they were on the VA pay list. So I found out, oh, I can, they'll pay for me to go to that school. So then I thought, well, I think I'll be a graphic designer. So I took, you start off, you know, like as a freshman, they did have all that stuff going on. Freshman, junior, senior, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the freshman year basically uh, had a locker and it was in the painting studio. And so I'd just go, you know, I'd go down there, watch them paint. And then I'd go back to drawing with a protractor and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Finally, I just uh, decided I'd switch and be a, be a painter. And I had three really, really good teachers, actually four. Uh, they were really terrific. So uh, it helped me a lot because I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> believe me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and But I really liked it. So uh, I just, you know, and at that time, the school was not accredited. Oh. Huh. But it was okay. I didn't care. Uh, artists, uh, being an artist is being an artist, and it's, you know, you don't have to have a lot of accreditation behind you. So I stayed there. I graduated from there. You didn't get, you got a diploma, you know, but it wasn't like a hotshot diploma if you get it from Yale or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I went to work uh, at the museum, which was basically just across the street, the Nelson Gallery mm -hmm. in Kansas City. And I really liked that place. It was great. And I became kind of like the guy who put things together and all that stuff. But I learned so much by working there. And then a uh, guy on Mondays, place wasn't open. So uh, the director, that's the day the director would go through the whole building. And for some reason, he picked me to go with him just to check everything you know like oh yeah yeah he did mm -hmm. that every monday morning and we got to be pretty good friends uh so uh he had me do lots of little chores well, some big chores but i had to put this chinese bed together once and it was it was really hard yeah really hard there's no nails or anything it just fit together and stayed together and probably was quite old it was really old. Yeah. He, he spent, before the Japanese came to China, uh, he was there. And he was buying stuff and shipping it back to the United States. So he had a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I just, you know, the thing about lithography, um, I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. But I did see this room that had stones and rollers ink but nobody ever used it uh -huh. <laughs> so i uh found out that one of the my drawing teacher taught lithography years ago and they kind of closed it down because it's not easy to do no it's not <laughs> so it's not like etching or woodcut woodcut was the favorite in this that school at that time yeah it's so immediate yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, he showed me a few things. And so I kind of got to work from there. And then uh, he said, you know, if you could get like four, maybe four or five students to 
come in there with you. They would put you back on the, you know, they put the pathography back on the docket. So I rounded up some people. <laughs> How did you do that? Did you just say? I just talked to him about it, yeah. you know, and stuff. And I learned enough by watching him and talking to him. And he had me get a couple books to read. So uh, then we had a class. What do you think it was about lithography that got your interest to the point that you wanted to study it? It was the drawing. Oh, uh uh-huh. I've always been a drawing person. Mm. And I don't know, know, the things that I printed at Landfall always usually have something to do with drawing, Mm -hmm. as you can see in this room. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I think lithography was, for me, it was... The fastest way, drawing on a stone. You had to process it, obviously. That's where everybody makes their mistake. But um, drawing on the stone is such a wonderful thing. And so that kind of started all, all off. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, I started writing to Garrow Antresian mm-hmm. to find out stuff also. And was he at Tamarind at that no. point? No. Okay. This was before Tamarind. Okay. And just before. I mean, it was just just before. Because uh, when he got to Tamron, first thing he did was call me hmm. and ask me if I would want to go there. Oh, okay, as as a student, as a yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and at one time, I did live in California, so that was fairly easy. Because right after I got out of the Marine Corps, I lived in California. Well, I lived in California before that too. I was one of many places, but um, so I went to Tam- well. I first I came here. They had a workshop here that you had to go to before you could go to Tamron. Like in Santa Fe? At, not in Santa Fe. It was in Albuquerque oh, okay. at the university. Oh, so that relationship goes back a long ways between Tamron and University of New Mexico. Oh, I didn't realize that. And so I spent six weeks here going to that class and doing stuff and learning about it and all that. And then uh, I went back to the museum. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and then I got another call saying, okay, we want you to come to Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Back to Tamarind. Back, yeah, to mm-hmm. Tamarind. Mm-hmm. And so I threw everything in my, and I had a Volkswagen bus and drove to California. Yeah. Was that? And then I went to Tamarind, you know, then I worked at Tamarind. They had some kind of a schedule that they put you on, like, uh, and then they gave you stuff that you had to do before you ever got to talk to an artist. Hmm. Uh, and mine thing that I had to do the most was graining stone. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't bad because it was outside. And one day, uh, a master printer came out and said, uh, you think you can print a flat? And I said, certainly. (laughs) 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 But uh, I passed. Oh, good. (laughs) And then once I I did that and worked with that artist, then I just, I was in the shop. Mm. I wasn't graining stones anymore. Yeah. I was printing. And I did that for, I forgot how long I stayed. And then I came back to Kansas City and the school hired me. Two, two things. One, three things, actually. Teach a class, uh, put together the gallery. Don't ask me why they did that. <laughs> and uh, also build a workshop. 
and this was in the early 60s. So there were really, there was no shops in school, mm-hmm. in, in the school situation. I mean, they that were printing from with outside artists. So I, um, I had, let's see, I bought a press. Well, they paid for it, obviously. I built this little room that was right off the classroom. And uh, I just started inviting artists. And how did you find artists to invite? Well, first being at Tamron. Oh, yeah. I knew several artists. Yeah. And uh, and then there was artists that I, I really knew about but never met. And so I kind of started off with them. And it went, you know, went all the way. It's in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for anyone needs more notes, <laughs> there's a very large, beautiful book you can check. <laughs> but, and so I'm always curious, you know, now for me, when I want to talk to an artist, I just find them on the internet and I send them an email. But were you writing artists' galleries to get in touch with them if you didn't know them or... I know, I don't think I ever went through a gallery. Okay. Would you just go through like mutual connections then? I would just call them up. <laughs> Look them up in the phone book? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just call them up. So yeah. when I started Landfall, uh, I mean, I did print for artists at that school. Uh, like I think Westerman was one of the first artists. No, it wasn't Westerman. Who was it? It's an artist from St. Louis, sculptor, a falling man. What's his name? I can't remember. Is it in the book? I think he's in the book. Okay. We'll check the book. (laughs) Well, and then, and also somewhere in all of this, you worked at the studio of Thomas Hart Benton as well. I did. Yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, well, I got to to know him. Uh, My instructor and, uh, and lithography was a student of his oh, okay. before the war. And uh, so he just drug me over to the house one day and asked me, you know, so I met. And Tom needed a slave. <laughs> so uh, he'd just tell me what to do in the studio and I would do it. And never amounted to a whole lot, but it was a nice atmosphere. And talking to him was really great. So, and then of course there was drinky time. (laughs) (laughs) That was the time when, you know, like usually uh, around five o'clock or something Mm -hmm. like that. And we'd have a drink Mm -hmm. and other people would come there at that time. So it was kind of a round chair, just, you know, all, everybody wanted to talk to Tom, you know, and it was, it was really nice. Yeah. Well, and I think from what I've seen, that tradition continued at Landfall. Um, from going there, it seems like about five o'clock, people will sit around a table. So did you get the idea from Tom? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true. Yeah, that's wonderful. Because we only, you know, you'd work until four o'clock and mm-hmm. then sit down and have, have a drink. When I first started, uh, when I first started the shop in Chicago, I never had much time for that, um, but I did some of it. But it seemed like, you know, getting that thing started, I would I'd only go home maybe two nights out of a week. So I had I had a bed and everything up on the third mm-hmm. floor of that building, and it just had to be that way in order to get things going. 
And then it got to be like one artist after another. And, you know, it just, so it didn't really settle down until for about nine years. Mm, Yeah. And so when you were working so much at the shop, was that just physically getting the space set up or was it, were you the only one printing? Like printing. Yeah. Wow. So at one time I had two shifts of printer print three presses and I would print both shifts so I wouldn't get home until you know like one or two o'clock in the morning that kind of thing tired I bet but it went on forever it seemed like about nine years and then I just thought nope I'm not going to do this anymore so and I had to move anyway Mm -hmm. because somebody bought the building which I should have bought so yeah I think that's Probably the most common thing I hear yeah. from people is I, I should have bought the building. Should have bought the building. Like printmakers, gallerists, like that's what they say. I know. Yeah. Because at that time, uh, the guy that owned the building, it's a really nice guy. And uh, he said, you know, I'll sell it to you for 40000 It was a three-story townhouse. <laughs> In Chicago. And, of course, I didn't do it. Mm. And the rent was really reasonable. At that time, because I was, I started out and I opened the place in 1970. And by 79, uh, somebody did buy the building. And so I had to move. Mm. And when I did move, then I just decided I wasn't going to do all that stuff again. So I was real picky about the artists. But I would find an artist, uh, like somebody like Vernon Fisher. It took me two years to get Vernon into that shop. Mm. Just being consistent, keep yeah. reaching out. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I had to have him in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was it like working with him? Oh, it was great. I mean, he's really smart and the work is smart. And I had to come up with a lot of kind of things to make it work. So that was really good because that taught me something. Right. Like as the artists bring things that challenge you, you evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What kind of things did Vernon bring that sort of pushed what you were doing? He didn't bring anything. (laughs) He just brought Vernon. Gotcha. And his brain and told me what he wanted to do. And I had to go from there. So, and that's basically most of the artists, that's kind of how they worked. I mean, they didn't really bring any plans or anything like that. Because Uh when I would go see an artist, I would spend time in the studio. I wanted to go in the studio to see how they did things and talk to them about it. So I knew enough that when they did get to Landfall, then it was like an easy kind of thing. Because I I think I just crawled inside their head. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And I usually just had one artist at a time. Uh, It was easier that way. Yeah, that. So that's... And so... Back at the sort of the start of Landfall, you had a choice to either go work at Tamarind or start Landfall. Is that correct? Like you had? Uh, actually, no. After Tamarind, uh, university, well, then I went to the, the Art Institute. That's when I you know, did all that stuff. And then uh, I got a job in Canada. Oh, yeah. NASCAD, right? Mm-hmm. And they built a new building, and so I had to, you know, like 
build a shop. So I built an etching shop, litho shop, and uh, and the director wanted a working, you know, with artists shop. So I did all three. And uh, I didn't stay, I, I don't know, I stayed maybe a couple, three years. And then I was sick of it. <laughs> Too cold? <laughs> no, it wasn't cold at all. Oh, really? Halifax is right on the ocean, you know, so it was, it was fine. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't what bothered me. Mm. It was uh, it was being in charge of things, you know, so I just didn't like it. I liked the students and stuff like that, but I didn't like the faculty. Well, most of the faculty I liked, mm-hmm. but some I didn't like. Yeah. And then the upstairs people I really didn't like. Yeah, that's common. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I decided to leave, and just about the time I was ready, just out of the blue, uh, Alan Frumpkin called me. I don't know if you know who Alan Frumpkin mm-hmm. is. Yeah, he's a, was. a dealer in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then he, at that time, he was in New York. Oh, okay. Uh, and he asked if, I could, if he could come and see me. So he flew up to Halifax. And he said, I would like you to come to Chicago and set up a workshop for artists in Printville. And I will help you because I didn't have a dime. So he loaned me the money, uh, which I did have to pay back. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's the way it started. And so I was, I'm looking at my notes and I'm realizing it, it wasn't Tamarind, but it was Gemini, right? That you had a connection with Gemini... As well with Ken Tyler? Yeah. Well, I, actually, I wasn't supposed to. What? <laughs> when Ken, Ken was at Tamron when I first got there. Okay, yeah. And then he was leaving, and he was setting up his own shop, and uh, which was, I don't know, maybe five blocks from where Tamron was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started working. And then he had a problem. Uh, he took a guy with him. His name was Bernie Blea. He was from, I don't know where he was from, Washington State, I think. But uh, so him and Bernie, that's how it got to be the name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two. And uh, so Bernie burned out real fast. So Ken asked uh, two or three people that was at Tamron if they would come over. But June did not want that to happen. Because she didn't want to lose the people? She didn't want the people to go over and work for him. You know, like, but what we did is it was moonlight working. So we'd go over after Tamron hours and print. Hmm. So. <laughs> Clandestine lithography. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> wow. uh, so yeah, that was a short-lived kind of thing because mm. then I, you know, I went back to uh, Kansas City and set that thing up. Mm-hmm. So. Gotcha. And then so, so I feel like in... The course of your story, you've gone from, you know, the lithography studio that didn't have anyone in it to all of a sudden, you know, there's Tamarind and you're setting up shops in Canada and in Kansas and Gemini. So it really was picking up steam as a medium over these years is what yeah, it sounds it like. Was. Yeah. And was that because, you know, you, you had, I mean, obviously June Wayne had quite a bit to do with that, maybe with Tamarind. Oh, she had a lot I mean, to do. I mean, that was her. Yeah. yeah. That was her. Everything was her. I mean, Gemini would have never been if Ken hadn't have gone to Tamarind. He was a student of Garrow's in, uh, what was that place? 
I forgot where Carol was teaching. Indiana. He was a student of in of him. And I I think Carol got him out there. Because when I went there, Carol was already gone. Uh, he went back to came back here to teach. He didn't want to be master printer at Tamron anymore. But he was the first master printer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So and then uh so, you know, all that stuff. All of that was kind of the foundation, all the different experience that you had and and so once um, Alan came and had this idea, you know, you said that you hadn't really liked being in charge of well, NASCAD, or it's different. He loved prints. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, when he started in the business, it was all about prints. I mean, he would buy prints. Mm-hmm. He'd go to Europe and buy them, you know, and all that stuff. So he was perfect because he understood it. Yeah. And he never bothered me. I mean, you know, he never told me what to do. Yeah. Uh, he never told me what artist to print. That's great. You know, nothing like that. Uh, so it was a it was a good relationship that we had. I mean, he would whenever he was in Chicago, he'd come over, obviously, and he'd always drag somebody over, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because he was really. I think he was really proud of the shop and the fact that you know kept going. Because we, when we first started, we thought it would last maybe three years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why only three? I don't know, but yeah. that's just the way we set it up. Uh-huh. But then it, you know, three years went into six years and then nine years and forever, forever. hmm You know, so, but he was good. He didn't really loan me, I mean, loan me money to get started. And to buy the presses and, you know, get all that kind of stuff ready. But uh, as time went on, he never gave me any money. Mm -hmm. So that was nice, too. Yeah. But if I needed something, like, uh, I always, I wanted Christo to do a print. Yeah. And I've never met the man. So, but I called up. Uh, I was in New York, and I called him up, and he was interested. And that was when he was just working on Valley Curtain. So then I found out who the boss was. <laughs> that was Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, I spent most of my time with her. <laughs> and uh, we got along really well. And so she said, well, would you do a portfolio? Mm. And I said, yeah, not that I knew what I was doing. Right. <laughs> and you think you can make it a 3D thing, you know, like mm. an added piece. Yeah. And I said, oh, sure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, well, for Christo to come there and do this portfolio, it's going to cost you $10,000. Wow. And I said, Okay. <laughs> I didn't have ten thousand dollars. Yeah. So um, that then I did go see Alan, and obviously he he knew Christo or he all that. So it was never in the gallery in his group of people, but uh, he did know the work and all that. So I got the ten thousand. So he had to pay up front. Uh huh. <laughs> because she needed it to for money for ballet curtain. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I read once that they. They never took grants. They only no. funded it 
through the sale of their own art. Right. So they could just do it exactly how they wanted to. And I was the first American to be in her pocket. <laughs> she really liked that. Yeah. yeah. So we were friends, you know, all these years. And we did a lot of, I did a lot of crystals work. I was going to say that was the beginning of a, of many collaborations. Right. Yeah. And a lot of them had that 3D folded element. A lot of them. Yeah. That first portfolio, uh, actually, a few people said I'd never sell it. But uh, I did it. they were all addition of, it's addition of 100. And so there I was sitting there with that stack of prints. But uh, they did get sold. Mm-hmm. Most of them went to Europe. So I had a European then connection, right. which was really good because that helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Because it, at Landfall, you not only produced the prints, but you also, through all this time, acted as your own gallery as well and sold your work. Correct? Sold the Yes, yeah, so you had to be I both had sides. To, I had to sell the work, yeah, which I had no idea how to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned. Yeah. Yeah, and you went on the road a lot to do that. I I was on the road a lot. Yeah. And I usually, uh, when things were going really well at the shop and I had a manager, Mm. uh, I would go on the road and I wouldn't, I'd stay out maybe two months on the road Mm -hmm. and I'd just go different places and say, send me this, send me that, because I've sold everything. Right. So that's kind of the way I did that. So I know that the the book has a lot of really specific stories about working with lots of the different artists. So I want to leave some mystery so people will go buy the book and read all of that. But, you know, having worked with so many like really wonderful artists, I don't know if there's any in particular. We talked about Christo, but I don't know. I mean, you've worked with Klaus Oldenburg and... Robert Indiana and Chuck Close. I mean, is there anyone else that you'd want to highlight? It's okay if no. Solowit. Solowit. Yeah. How was working with Solowit? Yeah, Sol was, uh, let's see, Pearlstein, Sol, and Christo were the mm-hmm. first three main artists of that show. Yeah. And Philip, I, I had met, I forgot where I met. And so, and they were all three really different. Hmm. Like different personalities, different working style? Oh, the working thing was it was just easy. Uh, the way they handled things was uh, different, obviously. But they, it was all about drawing. So those were the first three that I did. Mm. And I did that and finished. And then I always kind of, well, one of the things, I did some local people mm-hmm. uh, I published, uh, you know, like Roger Brown and you know, both those guys. Oh, and so that was good. And then there was a lot of other, there was a lot of other artists that yeah. I really had nothing to do with. They basically just paid me. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. But as far as publishing, I always picked. Mm. How did you pick artists to work with? Uh, I would just, I'd see the work mm. someplace, mm-hmm. and then I would just go see it. Mm. I mean. Let them know I was right. <laughs> Sometimes I think. Yeah, and so was it just if you saw artwork that you just thought was good or would be exciting to print? Like, what made you see a work of art and decide I want to make a print with that person? Uh, I don't know. Hmm. You just knew. I just knew. Yeah, 
I mean, like Luis, I had no idea about Luis mm. Jimenez. Mm -hmm. uh, but on my travels, uh, I had a, a used to be Hills Gallery that used to be here mm -hmm. years ago, and I did business with them. So that's when this town was really tiny. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the woman that was running it, uh, she did print with him. Mm. And I saw that print and I, I have got to meet this guy. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I bought, she she was having a hard time selling them. So I bought maybe 10 of them from her. And I sold them all before I got to Los Angeles. Mm. So uh, I called her and she gave me Louise's number. And then I called Louise. And I didn't know he was such a prince pig. <laughs> <laughs> well, drawing was his thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and a lot of sculptors are like that. Totally. Mm -hmm. So I like working with sculptors. They were three-dimensional and they thought three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. But the drawing was still kind of three-dimensional, even though it was flat. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, I called him. And sent him a plane ticket, and he flew to Chicago. We did print. Mm-hmm. So there was a diptych, big. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that fits. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we became friends, and just, you know, I, I did a lot of work with him mm -hmm. a lot over the years. Yeah. And so with working with all of the artists and having them spend all this time drawing beautifully on a stone or a plate, and then you have to etch it. Did that ever, you know, stop being nerve-wracking at any point? Or did you always kind of feel, I'm sure, that responsibility of now you have to take care of this image? You know, uh, sometimes I thought about it, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. That's probably best. <laughs> stone, uh, I mean, I really cut my teeth on stone. And uh, so stone was easier for me. Mm. Plates. I had a little hard time with them first until I figured it out. Yeah. And then it was fun. But uh, in general, most of the artists that came to the shop to work worked on stone. Yeah. And, and some of the artists wanted to work on stone, so, which was nice. Yeah. As you, as you saw over at my place, you know, it's a lot of stone over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the stones are just such wonderful objects. Yeah, they are. They're beautiful. They are. Yeah. And they're wonderful to draw on. Artists that have like used uh, plates and mylar. Mylar came late, but I knew about mylar long before I started using Because mm. uh, a, a designer who was hired from, where she from, forgot exactly where she was from Europe, actually. The Art Institute had her in for a year point to teach. Mm. And where she knew all about prints. Oh, yeah. So I did some prints with her on mylar. And I, at that point, I didn't know that they used to print on mylar or print from mylar. Mm. In Europe, they really did. They did it a lot. And I started buying plates from this plate person in Chicago or Chicago or something. Uh, Chicago or Kansas City, I forgot when it was. Uh, and they told me about that they'd grain mylar, hmm. just like they grained a plate. So it had the same feel, and it was easier, you know, to send out to to oh, an artist yeah, or yeah. something. You know? mm -hmm. I didn't really like that idea, but, you know, 
it's come in handy over the years. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she was the one that first put me on to Mylar. She had some with her. And that's what she made her print from. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then I had, to shoot, I had to shoot it onto a plate, which I had to figure that out. Right. <laughs> and I, I did it. I made my own solution. I had this old book that gave you all the rules, you know, like what to put in it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and then I just made my own plates, put the stuff on it, used the sunshine mm-hmm. to expose it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but, like, stones were your... Your first love. But stones were, yeah. Yeah. They were, they were the ones that I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard lithographers talk about how, um, you know, the stone is made up of all of these, like, dead things, right? Like, it's what limestone is. and It's limestone, yeah. Yeah. And so... It has a life. Yeah, exactly. It really does. Mm. And if you treat it right, it'll treat you right. Mm. Yeah. So, I came up, I you know, had this... I still I still use it, and I taught Steve how to like do it. It's uh, how to bring the stone up so that it is you know like positioned right. And if you have to pull a lot of prints, you have to do that mm. without things filling in or anything like that. So yeah, I haven't had that trouble in years. <laughs> so you know, as you said, lithography is hard. It's hard because. What students do is, I used to just give them a sheet, you know, I had, everything was in tens. In other words, how to, how to. Mm-hmm. And you had ten numbers, of, you know, number one, you do this, number two, you do this, so on and so forth. But what students would do is that they would do number one, and then they'd skip. <laughs> and then they're in trouble. Yeah. So then it would, like, blow up on them. Mm-hmm. And they do that all the time. I still do it, I'm sure. Yeah. But it was an easy way. If they followed the sheet of 10 steps, they never made a mistake. Mm. Does that sheet still exist? <sighs> Probably. Someplace. Someplace. I bet, I bet there's a lot of lithography students who would love to see that sheet. Who <laughs> 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 would love to see your Probably. steps. <laughs> well, I've, I've got all my old books and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's probably in there. Yeah. Because even when I was teaching late uh, at the university, because I taught uh, two days a week at the university in in Chicago, and uh, while I was running landfall, I don't know why I did it, but it it was fine. Mm -hmm. I kind of enjoyed students to a certain extent. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) And that, you know, I still have students that sometimes write, sometimes call. Mm -hmm. goes back a long ways. Yeah. So I think just, you know, to kind of start wrapping things up, I wanted to ask, since we're talking about students, you know, for, I feel like all the time that I've spent in printmaking studios, I've seen more tears shed over litho than anything else, (laughs) you know, things filling in and, you know, it worked one way one time and didn't work this time. And it so, always works if you follow the rule. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, do you have like words of wisdom for the the young struggling lithographers out there? Follow the rule. What's follow the ten steps? Follow the ten steps, and you're going to be able to get us the ten steps so I can share it. <laughs> uh, 
I'd have to check those books. I'm sure it's in there. If you could, I'm sure a lot of people would would love to see it. <laughs> they probably don't. They probably think it's stupid. Oh, I don't think so. I I don't. I don't. I think. But that, it works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I think that um, people still struggle with lithography. You know. I mean, I I see it because they try to do it too fast. Uh, okay. Mm. They want like instant results. Well, the thing is, you know, lithography is pretty simple, really. Uh, let's say you take a stone and you draw on it. If you gummed it down with gum, you know, yeah. buffed it down good, put it away for six minutes, just gum. Mm-hmm. You pull it out and you wash that gum off and put on another coat. You can print at that stone without ever using any acid. Really? That's what it's all about. Mm. Because the gum holds the water okay, and seeps down into that stone because the stone is porous. Right. And every place that you made a mark with a litho crayon or whatever you're doing, um, it doesn't go there because it goes straight down. Right. So if it goes down far enough and you let it sit long enough, you never have to touch it with acid. Hmm. Never. But if you want to push it along fast, okay. Then you use some acid, and what that does is that opens the pores in the stone and lets the gum go down. Gotcha. So it's very simple. Okay. And you know, uh, and then when you roll it up, you just have to you have to start with basically hardly any ink or pressure, hmm. and you just build up slowly until you get it to the point that you have a full bloom image. It may take five pieces of paper. They don't have to be expensive paper. It can be, you know, trash. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you've got it. And then you just put it away properly. And when you get it out, you can just print that baby forever. Really. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's just, so it's relatively simple. Mm. Except people make it hard. Yeah. They really do. And some of these people that have written books... You know, like do this, do that, put this in this in the water, put this in the you know this kind of acid, this do this. That stuff just causes trouble. Yeah, because the stone is very, very simple. Mm. Yeah, I think that I've. Uh, Cinefelder yeah. basically never used used gum arabic, but never used acid. I've got his book upstairs. Right. Yeah. His first edition. Oh, really? That he wrote. The Bible, yeah. <laughs> Never did it that way. Huh. Not, how the, the acid actually does the thing. I mean, it makes it so you can do it quicker. Okay. That's all it does. Mm. It forces that gum down into the stone. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just is, if you have, if you can wait, then it, yeah, it does sound very simple. Yeah. I think that's very good advice. <laughs> that's the magic. <laughs> I mean, I gave this uh, I gave this litho stone to the museum here, mm-hmm. and it had uh, let's see that stone was made probably over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And when I got the stone, I all I did was put a coat of gum on it and try to wash it out if I could. Mm-hmm. But you could print it, print that stone forever mm-hmm. with no problem at all. You know, yeah. Couple of those things are hanging at the shop. Yeah. I can show you if you come there. Totally. I love that. 
Wow. So it's it's a simple process. It's just that everybody makes it so hard. Mm. Now, once you put this on the air, mm-hmm. all these people are going to say that guy's full of shit because <laughs> <laughs> you got to do this and you got to do that. Mm-hmm. And you know you don't have to. You really don't have to. It's the same way with plates. They had all kinds of acids you had to use on plates. You know, well, I just used gum. Mm. Same process, except there's no place for the gum to go. Right. But you desensitize the plate that way, and then you can print on it. Mm. But you don't have to, like, put acid on it or anything like that. I love that. That's, and I worked yeah. uh, I worked for this company uh, that was attached to Hallmark Cards in Kansas City. And I worked in the plate room and made plates that went on an offset press. You know, nobody threw any acid in there. Yeah, that was true. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and we're, you know, in a room surrounded with really beautiful lithographs that, like, I think stand to prove your point. <laughs> they were all made by you. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's, that's really great. Uh, uh, words of wisdom. So thank you. <laughs> and then I, before we um, close out, I want to make sure I've got time to ask you about the book because we've mentioned it a few times, but um, was it last year that it was published? This like wonderful tome that's history of landfall. Yeah. What is that? There should be something laying around here. One of those discs. It tells you the dates. I don't know where it's at. Jeanette, oh, here. 19... 1917 1970. to 1920. The book took five years. Mm. Not surprised, yeah. <laughs> well, two things. One, uh, Tom had never written a book before. And he chose to take on this one? <laughs> like, what, 500 pages or something? 600. <laughs> 600 pages. So, uh, but... Tom worked for me mm. when he was 17, and he worked for me for uh, quite a quite a length of time. And then he went on as a salesperson for different companies. Uh, anyway, so he knew a lot about photography and prints. And he's got one of those kind of minds that never loses anything. Mm, I don't have one of those. You know, because <laughs> my mind loses everything. Same. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, uh, something I did, I forgot what it was. I think we were doing something with Terry Allen, the the last thing that I did with Terry. Anyway, uh, I sent it to Tom. He He asked me for it. And he wrote back this little thing about sitting down with a glass of whiskey and listening to this thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I thought that's very poetic. So I just got a hold of him and I said, you know, you'd be the person to write this book. You have a lot of, I mean, you know a lot of stuff about a lot of uh, publishers in Europe and the United States. And because you've worked for most of them and you've worked in different shops periodically. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay. So he got started and I put him in touch with a really good friend of mine who was a designer. Uh, he used to live upstairs above me in Chicago. And uh, so they got together 
and just one thing led to another. Mm -hmm. They worked together, and then I would sit down with Tom, and he'd ask me questions, and then he'd take off from there. Mm. And the book doesn't just have landfall in it. I mean, it's got other stuff in it. I don't know if you've gone through the whole thing yet. Yeah. I mean, it's got these wonderful little asides that talk about like the GI Bill or the WPA, you know, so it it's a really incredible, just in-depth history of what was going on with printmaking. Well, that's what I wanted. I didn't want one of those stupid printmaker books, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So I never thought that it was going to end up being 600 and some odd pages, though. <laughs> but uh, Tom being Tom, he figured a lot of this stuff out. And the unlucky thing about was my friend who was the designer died mm. all of a sudden. Mm. He had put together probably the first first part of the book with Tom already. Um, and, you know, then he, he got this just happened so fast. Mm -hmm. He got this brain tumor and bingo. He didn't last a month. Oh my gosh. And he was young. Mm. Good beer drinker. <laughs> Loved music. We used to go to music all together. Yeah, oh, just wonder. listen. But anyway, so Tom pretty much took over. I got another designer who was basically a designer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh and my my part, big part, besides talking to Tom and stuff, was making money. Mm -hmm. So I sold a lot of stuff that I had. I didn't know how much this thing was going to cost. Yeah. And I borrowed some money and blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. until I got the right amount, which kept going up. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, 600 pages. <laughs> it's a lot to print. <laughs> And then, you know, they sent me, uh, when it went to press, they sent me the first bit. And I looked at it and I thought, this is not going to fly. Mm, I not? hated it immediately. Why? Because it was too designy. Uh, uh -huh. The designer really stepped in there and Tom didn't stop him. And it wasn't Tom's fault. So I called, I called him and I said, stop the press right now. And so the, the book guy called me and said, well, we had to stop and we have to start over. It's going to cost you an extra 22000 mm. <laughs> <laughs> But I said, all right, if it's going to cost me an extra 22000 I'm coming there. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Tom and I spent a couple of weeks with the printer correcting everything. Mm. correcting every sheet that came off that press until we got it right. Wow. And I think it, it shows. I mean, it's it's a beautiful book. Like, every page looks intentional. And it sounds like it's because it definitely was. <laughs> so it is. And I had help. A uh, couple really good people that bought from me in Europe helped a lot. Mm. Yeah. Well, Europe was a, it was, uh, they know about prints and yeah. they're really, they're really interested. The United States, not so much, but mm. Europe, they yeah. definitely do it. Yeah. It almost seems like almost everywhere but the United States. Cause it's like, you know, Latin America knows about printmaking. Japan knows about printmaking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Europe knows about printmaking, <laughs> but it seems to be always a little uphill battle 
in America. Yeah. Why do you think that is? You have any idea? You know, I don't know. Americans are stupid, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but it's true. Yeah. You know, they have no they have no art feeling, mm. really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've traveled a lot in Italy, you know, because Jeanette's Italian and mm -hmm. came from there and all that stuff. So uh, I remember going to this one guy's house and God, he just had drawers. He didn't have them up on the wall, but he had them in drawers. Yeah. And, you know, I spent the whole day. He didn't mind at all pulling pieces out, looking at them and talking about them. And, you know, there was just... There are people like that in the States, though, still. Yeah. It'd be nice if there were a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it, that idea that they, like, don't have the art feeling. Um, because, you know, I've traveled and, and lived outside of the United States, and it's other places there's this intrinsic value that art has that everyone agrees on. And in the United States, it's like, well, prove it to me. And like that underlying agreement that art has value and is important just doesn't seem to exist in the same way. You know, when Terry and I got together uh, and that first album, the first album that I did, I published the first oh. album, uh, men really got into it. Uh, most of the records that we sold was sold in Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not in the United States, you know, just. And I don't know, Terry still has, she, I mean, he has a really good following in, in Europe. Yeah. And a lot of, uh, a lot of different singers, especially, uh, blues, jazz. I mean, this, this one artist that I worked with in California, like, uh, his jazz player. And every year he went to Europe, spent the whole summer, made a really, you know, helped him through the, through the United States years. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I remember even, you know, reading early, like early-ish jazz biographies. So even people like Billie Holiday yeah. would say, you know, when I went to Europe, it was a whole different thing, you know. It um, still is. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I, you know, I know a few publishers over there and I know some artists and, you know, it's just, it's just a whole different world. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it's because the United States has such like a kind of competitive sort of hardness and individuality that people are very tightly wound here. And to really enjoy art, you need to trust intuition and you need to trust your feelings. And I, I think that Americans just aren't really trained to do that. There's like a real, um, yeah, kind of edge that people walk around with you know, you noticed if you leave and come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I learned was time off. Mm. Europe has a whole thing about time, mm. time for themselves. Yeah. And I guess I mean, America's just not old enough yet mm. mm -hmm. to get that. But yeah. then you, you go there and like after the war, um, there were cities that were just total, totally yeah. gone. Yeah. And when they rebuilt them, they used all the old plans mm. and rebuilt those cities to exactly 
like they were. I find that really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, Ulbricht Durr's house in Nuremberg was destroyed, and they rebuilt it, you know, stone by stone the same, and you can go there now and you can stand in the room that he kept his printing press in. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the pilgrimage for printmaking. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I think, um, you know, before we, we close out, can you um, tell people about the museum exhibition that's coming? Because you're going to have a traveling museum show, and I want to make sure that people get a chance to, to know about that. Well, I don't know. Tom and I both got the idea about the same time. And so we thought it would be good to spread that around. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that, actually, with artists. Uh, Put together a small show, send it to, you know, they went to schools and, you know, never did go to right big places. Uh, Landfall made it to a couple big places. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. So it's, um, it's going to be some work from the landfall archive, correct? And it's going to go to a couple of museums. Well, we've got two people right now that are contracted in and one is in Knoxville. One is in, why do I always forget that? Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get one in Chicago. It's in a place, uh, it's out in the burbs. It's not in the one of the major places, but I really don't care. Yeah. You know, I just want people to see it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't cost anything. The only thing they have to pay for is to send it to the next guy. Oh, nice. You know, everything is framed and ready to go. Mm-hmm. At, actually, right now, uh, some things are hanging here on the wall. I have to take them <laughs> down, but that's okay. Uh, and it's, it's the 50-year thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started, when I finished. So I'm hoping I stopped calling museums and stuff, even small museums. I just stopped calling them because I figure that uh, if I get three and it moves around like that with those three, that it'll start moving. Mm -hmm. People will see it and want to have it. So I'm counting on that. Yeah. How many pieces are in the show? 50. 50? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And I got to see some of the work. Uh, at landfall, but who are some of the artists who will be in the show? Well, it starts out the early years. So, I mean, you got people like Christo, who's in, must be in, in the show three times. Mm-hmm. And some of them are just in the show once. Uh, Chuck Close, he was early. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, I don't have the big piece, but I've got the main piece, you know, cause it's, uh, it's all on one sheet. And then he did some separates. We mm-hmm. printed some separate. Uh, Wiley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I did these artists, nobody even knew. I mean, Chuck Close had no idea he was going to become Chuck Close. Really? <laughs> 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 you know, uh, and Bill Wiley, he didn't care anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's a, a, a big Kara Walker, right, as well? Uh, she didn't know either until she became like whatever they call them. They got the the big grant. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, Fulbright or the I don't know MacArthur. MacArthur, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
the MacArthur but genius. When she came, she was what? I think she was 21. Oh my gosh. When she came to landfall. That's amazing. Like doing that work at 21. And she hadn't done anything. She'd done some printmaking, not much. Because mm-hmm. uh, where she went to school, they had pretty good printmaking there. But uh, she was more interested in, I don't know what, mm-hmm. drawing. Yeah. And so uh, I didn't even know her. But I saw a piece of her work, and then somebody sent me uh, a writing thing that she did. And I read that, and I thought, that girl's coming here. Mm -hmm. So I called her up, sent her a plane ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, we can definitely um, put notes uh, in the podcast about where the show will be going, so people can see it and if any curators are listening who might want it um, you know they can find you at landfallpress.com uh landfallpress yeah landfallpress.com okay no it's not landfallpress.com is it just landfall.com it's info oh info at info at landfallpress.com info at landfallpress.com great you can find out about it yeah wonderful well Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for, for joining me, Jack. It's been really fun to talk. So I really appreciate you taking See, the time. See, I talked a lot, didn't you I? You did. You did great. <laughs> Jeanette's going to be very proud. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeanette didn't have to, like, punch me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon page where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts with our editor, Timothy Pauschak, who digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with our guests. Also, if you've listened this far, you might be that special kind of print friend who would leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to us if you did. And no joke, it really does make a difference. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Shay Remba, the director of Mixografia. Mixografia is an incredible collective printmaking studio in LA with roots in Mexico City, and it was founded by Shay's mother and father over 50 years ago. Shay and I talk about growing up with this incredible childhood, collaborating with the late great Rufino Tamayo, and how his family developed and continues to develop a remarkable, highly technical three-dimensional printmaking technique. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.